the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You are on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomkline.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at shalomkline. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. So uh, let's get right down to it. I'm thrilled to uh, kick off the program with my first guest, Scott Miller, who is entering his 24th year with Franklin Covey as the Executive Vice President of Thought Leadership uh, he's the host of the Franklin Covey-sponsored On Leadership with Scott Miller, a quite a uh, fantastic bio um, where uh, Scott talks with all sorts of influence makers, and he is quite the influence maker himself. Uh, so I'm thrilled to, uh, to have you on the program, Scott. Welcome. Shalom. Thank you for the invitation today. Oh, it's great to have you. And um, your, you and your team have been involved in some of the, the books. I, I, I can't show it on radio, but uh, the bookshelf that I have right behind me, uh, some amazing, amazing reads, including um, one of my uh, all-time favorites, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Scott, I love to get to know the person behind the microphone. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what inspires you as an entrepreneur and as a professional. Well, so I live in Salt Lake City with my wife, Stephanie, and our three sons, who are 6, 8, and 10. I moved here from Central Florida 25 years ago to be part of the Franklin Covey Company, of course, founded by Dr. Stephen R. Covey of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People fame. Can you believe that book is now in its 30th year and has sold 40 million copies? I've dedicated most of my career to leadership development, helping build great cultures. I'm a raving fan of the role that leaders play in culture as linchpins. Uh, I don't believe everybody should be a leader. I'm not sure I should have been a leader of people. But I think if you're going to be a leader, there are fundamental principles that we all should follow. And Franklin Covey has dedicated its 40-year history as a company helping clients do just that, making great cultures the result of great leaders. Indeed. And uh, Scott, I have to say, you have been the author of uh, several interesting uh, reads yourself, including uh, Franklin Covey's Management Mess to Leadership Success, 30 Challenges to Become the Leader You Would Follow, as well as the co-author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, The Six Critical Practices to Leading a Team. So some fantastic reads, and we'll make sure that uh, all of our listeners know where they can find uh, all of these bestsellers. Um, But I want to go back to uh, to the book that 
I can't believe 30 years, which is incredible. The seven habits of highly effective people, because I think that that is the foundation for, uh, as my dad would say, and I'm sure he's listening this evening uh, as we're airing this, it's all widgets. If you understand people and you understand relationships, you can do just about anything. So, Scott, I'm curious, when was the first time you read the book and what did it mean to you? Well, it meant nothing to me because I was too young to absorb it. So actually, before I moved to Utah to join Stephen's company, I worked for the Disney Development Company in Orlando. And they put us through the Seven Habits program, and we read the book. But I was in my young 20s. I wasn't mature enough to appreciate that there actually were you know, governing principles that drive human behavior. So I kind of phoned it in in my early 20s. And then come to, come to know, I joined the company in my late 20s. That's really when I began to read the book. But I tell you, Shalom, I don't think I was mature enough again to really understand the gravity of these seven habits until I was in my 30s and probably didn't fully begin to live them until I was in my 40s. I think there's truth to that. And now that I'm 50 and a dad of three with my wife, Stephanie, I think honestly, to tell you the truth, it's in my 50s that I'm really starting to understand the consequences of not living these seven habits. They're really quite remarkable. So it sounds like I still have a lot of lessons to learn because I'm only in my early 30s. So, well, you, uh, might be, you might be on an accelerated path. I hope you are. <laughs> I don't know about that. But there are a lot of principles in, in, the, in the book, in, the, in really the concept of seven habits of highly effective people that I believe are quite timeless. But we're living in some very, very difficult times. What are some of the lessons that, uh, from, from Mr. Covey that, that you think are especially relevant now, 30 years later, and especially relevant in these difficult times? I could give you four or five, right? One is be proactive. Habit one is that proactive people carry their own emotional weather, meaning they don't give up their mood to other people's circumstances, other people's opinions, right? You carry your emotional weather. You respond very deliberately to outside circumstances. I think another thing he would talk about is you can't talk your way out of a problem you behaved yourself into. I mean, think about that. You have to behave yourself out of a problem you behaved yourself into. And when people begin with the end in mind, which is habit two, they're very deliberate around what is their legacy in life? What is their plan? What's most meaningful? What are their roles in life? Is their life work-centered? Is it money-centered? Is it religious-centered? You know, typically, people who are highly effective have a multifaceted life. And then the last thing I would share, Shalom, is he wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's often misquoted by the media as The Seven Habits of Highly Efficient People. There's a difference between being efficient and being effective. I don't know about you, but I'm a very efficient, productive person. I get up early. I write. I read. I lead, I do things fast, mow the lawn, wash the car. That's fine to have an efficient mindset in certain areas of your life. I think the legacy that Dr. Covey left was know when to be efficient and know when to be effective because you cannot be efficient with people in every relationship in your life. You need to slow down and move out of an efficiency mindset over into an effectiveness mindset. Dr. Covey said many wise things. Among them, he said, with people, fast is slow, and slow is fast. So it's okay to be efficient in certain areas, but when you're in relationships, in organizations, with your family, 
remember to slow down. That's great advice. Timeless advice, as, as, as we've said. And I, I'm, I'm chatting with uh, the executive vice president of thought leadership at Franklin Covey. Um, and we've been chatting about the seven habits of highly effective people. Scott, you are in a very, very unique position to, uh, to see the impact of the seven habits. Can you share with us any examples of how the seven habits have had a positive impact on individuals, young, old, or anywhere in between? Oh, I can share countless examples, right? I mean, you know, habit three, put first things first. How do you put first things first if you don't know what is first? What, what, what are your priorities, right? And, and being able to differentiate between what is urgent and what is important. I'll use me as, a, as an example, Shalom, is that I, I love a good crisis. I do my best work in a crisis. And if one doesn't exist, oh, I'll cook one up just to feel important. I thrive under pressure. I think a lot of parents, a lot of neighbors, a lot of leaders have an urgency addiction, right? It gives us the dopamine and we do our best work under pressure. That's okay. But when that urgency addiction tends to dominate your brand, your reputation, the culture of your team, people burn out. So for me, I think putting first things first helps me to differentiate what is urgent and what is important. I think another great example that we all of us tend to live is around managing conflict in our lives. Dr. Covey said many wise things. Again, another one was nearly all, if not all, conflict in life comes from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. That's habit five. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. I see it in first graders. I see it in high schoolers, college students, professors, CEOs. If you can learn to listen, not with the intent to respond, but with the intent to understand, it's called empathic listening, you can transform your brand. I think a lot of us fail and buck up against these seven habits. You know, habit four is all around thinking win-win. It's a mindset, right, versus think, win, lose. I'm going to get mine, and you're going to lose. Or be a martyr. We'll lose, win. Well, it's okay. I don't need to get my share, or I don't need to win. Highly effective people in a relationship's thinking, win, win. What can you get out of it, and what can I get out of it? And do I need to listen more to what your needs are? That's kind of a broad overview, but I think in everybody's life, regardless of role, if we take on these seven habits, we all can be more effective in every area of our life. Uh, fascinating. And as we said, timeless advice. And uh, you just shared, um, Scott, uh, how it's relevant to uh, folks of all ages, although uh, perhaps some of the younger listeners and maybe some of the more mature listeners might not be able to appreciate everything. I've been chatting with Scott Miller, the Executive Vice President of Thought Leadership at Franklin Covey. Uh, We've been chatting about the seven habits of highly effective people. Scott, real quick, where can people learn more? You know, you can find me everywhere, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. I host now what is the world's largest podcast dedicated to leadership called On Leadership with Scott Miller. It comes out every Tuesday. You can subscribe at franklincovey.com. Well, thanks, Scott, for joining us. We'll be back and get down to business in just a moment. Hey, welcome back. You are listening to this show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. You can get on my website, shalomplein.com. That's where you can download podcasts from the past six plus years of programs. 
um, that have aired here on Get Down to Business. Some fantastic conversations, including my next guest, which is Danielle Perry, who is the executive director at Growing Home. But Danielle has an incredible, incredible resume that is uh, miles and miles long. Uh, Danielle is an attorney, um, but has been very involved in the world of service, both in uh, serving in uh, in Congress as a uh, as a as a staff person, as well as a really really fascinating fascinating background as a special advisor to the Assistant Secretary for Civil Rights of the USDA and the Director of Communications and Outreach at the City of Chicago Office of Inspector General Danielle. It's such a pleasure having you on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to have you. So, Danielle, I just did the very very brief version of your bio, but there's so much more that I can share, Danielle. What, who are you and what causes you um, to have that inspiration to serve in all of those different capacities that we talked a little bit about? Yeah, I feel like you, you read my whole life story. I, you guys don't need me to say anything else. But um, so I'm originally from uh, the south side of Chicago, and the south suburbs of Chicago. And, you know, I grew up with parents who were, my parents are doctors, but they always served folks. They always worked in communities that really need help. And um, they weren't looking for the most lucrative job, but for the folks who needed the most help. And so I grew up in that kind of household, in a church that was all about service. Um, and I, I think it just was innate. This is who I've always been, a fighter for people who needed it. And somebody who was really committed to public service. So even at a young age, I had a desire to work in public service. So I went to law school right after college in Washington, D.C. at Howard University. And after law school, I worked the Obama campaign for a little bit and then worked on the Hill. Even when I worked on the Hill, I worked for Congressman Kristen Holland and I did mostly constituent service. And it was actually directly helping people day to day. So if you have a problem with Social Security or, you know, you're, you're at that point, uh, the Affordable Care Act was rolling out. So all those things were under me. And it was really great to see people's lives change and help them fix problems that they really struggled with. So, you know, that's always what made me feel good. That's a job I love to have. And I've learned even in this new job at Growing Home, the ability to come to work every day and see the transition of folks' lives is what makes me most happy. So well, you, you, Danielle, you caught the bug. You caught the bug that, uh, and it's it's contagious and it doesn't go away, that, that bug for service, um, which is incredible. And I know you're on your next chapter of that, uh, of that service bug and that service journey at Growing Home. So Danielle, you're the executive director and Tell us a little bit about Growing Home because it's a fantastic, fascinating mission that probably most of our listeners don't know about quite yet, but I'm just so excited to get them involved and have them learn that story. Absolutely. So Growing Home is on the south side of Chicago, a nonprofit, and really Growing Home is 18 years old. It was all started with a partnership between the Chicago Community Trust and Growing Home to help folks who lived in a homeless shelter find employment. So they owned a farm downstate Illinois. They would teach them how to farm, teach them how to grow their own food. And then they would sell that produce at, at the farmer's markets around the city. And that model has grown to not just being about uh, folks who have housing insecurities, but people with all types of barriers. And we are now solely in Inglewood, which is one of the most um, food insecure neighborhoods in um, West Inglewood, where we are has one of the highest unemployment rates in Chicago. So at Growing Home is helping folks 
um, not only find employment by working at our, our um, job training program, which is paid. We're one of the few job programs in the city that's actually paid, but teaching people how to grow their own food from seed all the way to harvest and then processing it and selling it all over the city. And one of the things we're doing right now is we have opened up Growing Home as an access point for fresh, healthy, affordable food. We are the only USDA certified organic high production farm in the city of Chicago. And I think now us being an access point for healthy, affordable food is a great start for Growing Home to continue into its adolescence um, well into the 20 years. So we sell produce half off in Inglewood and on the South Side. And if you are a SNAP recipient, we double value, which means you get it for almost another half off. So I, I love the fact that Growing Home not only helps people find full-time employment, but also helping people in the community find healthy, affordable food. And I love the motto. Um, we believe everyone deserves a good job and good food. And uh, I know your work was featured in the Wall Street Journal um, about a month ago or so, I believe, um, in the, the the overall conversation about food deserts. And it's really, really important. Um, now the attention is on um, communities like Englewood in terms of ensuring that that those resources are provided. So, Danielle, I have to ask, um, with your background, I know you worked on the Hill and I know you worked on the Obama campaign and, and you, you've been involved in so many interesting things. Did you ever imagine that you'd be involved in agriculture in this, in this world? <laughs> I know it's Absolutely been this journey not. and I'm curious how it's led to this point. Yeah, I get that question a lot, um, especially as an attorney, you know, people in law school know I never, I never thought I'd be going to a farm every day, I'll tell you that. But uh, when I worked on the Hill, I was offered the opportunity to serve the Obama administration as an advisor. Um, and when I went to my first interview at the White House, they asked me what my interests were. And I was like, education and civil rights. And I was so excited. And I would say a month later, they called me and said, OK, what do you think about uh, civil rights in agriculture? And I was like, agriculture. Right. <laughs> um, but. It's a blessing and a, and a once in a lifetime opportunity to serve in an administration like President Obama's. And so I, jo I jumped in. And one of the main things I worked on was the uh, USDA Civil Rights Office initiative on food and community gardens. And we were basically going to communities like Inglewood every single day and building gardens that are still in existence today. And, you know, what some people call food deserts, but at the very least, very food insecure communities that really needed it. And after that, I became really passionate about that work. And so I'm excited to now be here four years after um, leaving or three and a half years after leaving the Obama administration and still doing that work in my hometown. So that's how I got into it. And I'm happy about it. I'm, I'm happy to be able to serve people. And during COVID, we've been giving out food for free in Inglewood, rather than selling our produce, um, we're 100% delivery of our produce right now to community members and our graduates since the pandemic started. And just happy to be able to be here and serving our community. I'm chatting with Danielle Perry, the, uh, the executive director of Growing Home. And we've talked a lot about food. We've talked about your background, how it's led to agriculture. I, and we will make sure that in a moment that our listeners know where they can reach um, you and get involved and donate, donate, donate. So important uh, to support that mission of providing sometimes free food, which is just incredible and such a, an important need in these neighborhoods. Um, but the jobs piece and the jobs piece is 
not just, you know, often when, when you went back when things were normal and we were having coffee, you know, you'd say, oh, what do you do? What, and, and really, that's such a deep and loaded question of what do you do? A job is about self-esteem and identity. Tell us a little bit Absolutely. about some of those success stories. Yeah, so Growing Home has about an 85 to 90% placement rate into full-time employment. So our program is 14 weeks long and it's paid, but it's going to help people land into jobs. And what, we're, what we've been doing more and more is helping people move and transition towards careers. So not just having a survival job, but something that you can take and change the trajectory of your life. My favorite story is is Antoine. When I first started at Growing Home, I met him. He left Growing Home and uh, went on to to transport food for a local grocery store. And then eventually he took a CDL course and then we started renting his own truck so he could save up and purchase his own truck. And the day I met him, my second day of work, he had just become insured, fully insured, and the owner of his own trucking company. And to me, that is how you change a neighborhood. It's not just about giving somebody a chance to get a job, but helping them move towards a career that can not only change their family's lives, but in the end, it was the ability to own his own business. You could change a community like that. And that's uh, just an example of what Growing Home can do. Uh, it's incredible, incredible impact is really the key word. And you are having an impact um, with food, with jobs, so many amazing things that you should be so proud of. And uh, I, I, you know, our listeners, no doubt, are wondering uh, where they can learn more, how they can get involved, how they can support. Can you, uh, can you share some contact information? Of course. Well, you can check out Growing Home's website at uh, growinghomeinc.org. And on the website, you can learn more about our different programs and the work that we do. And also, of course, how to donate. We're on Instagram at Growing Home and on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, all at Growing Home. So please check out the website. We'd love to have you join us, volunteer, and of course, donate. Of course. Well, Danielle Perry, Executive Director of Growing Home. Thanks so much for joining us on Get Down to Business. We're going to squeeze in a quick break. Uh, After that, we'll be joined by more tips, advice, and guests all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. You're listening to Get Down to Business. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. And I love to connect the dots wherever possible between uh, our business listeners and opportunities to serve. And our next guest really lives the motto of we all serve. I'm thrilled to be joined by Mike Holub, who is the vice chair of the Illinois ESGR committee. ESGR is the employer support for the Garden Reserve, where I am a proud volunteer, the proud uh, director of employer outreach. Mike, welcome to the program. Great. Uh, Thanks. Glad to be here with you guys today. Oh, it's great to have you, Mike. uh, Let's talk about why you serve. Um, I I was an employer uh, back in about 2003 when I had about five of my employees who I was a police chief. Had five officers who were in a guard or reserve unit. Uh, three of them got deployed all at the same time. But essentially, uh, I wanted to make sure that I was doing the correct thing, not only under the Illinois statutes, but more importantly, under the USERA, the federal act. And so I reached out to some ESGR people to make sure that I was doing it correctly and to get some guidance from them. Uh, it wasn't long after that that they took me on one of their uh, employer outreach trips and um, leaned on me heavily to, uh, to get me to join. And it was one of the best decisions I've made. I've been, since that time, I've been involved uh, continuously with ESGR. So you've been on both sides of it, which is uh, incredible. So you have a firsthand view 
of, uh, of, of visiting with military units, um, those that serve, like myself right. in the Guard and Reserve, as well as uh, seeing employers. You were one of those employers. So let's talk, let's demystify the ESGR again, the employer support for the Guard and Reserve, and what kind of work is being done here in the state of Illinois? Well, ESGR is an office of the uh, Department of Defense under the Assistant Secretary, and every state and four uh, territories have a committee for it. So we're headed up by a chair. I serve as uh, her vice chair. But what we do is employer outreach, where we try and educate employers on their obligation and their burden, as well as their expectations for their service members. And we also do military outreach, where we will, on a regular basis and continuing basis, brief them on their obligations to their employer and their rights under the federal act. Um, you know, got to let them go, got to let them come back, those type of things. And we, we also do a, an education program wherever we can, whether that's like for me, I would often go to a cheese conference and I always took the opportunity to, to mention ESGR there to make sure there were no hurdles or bumps in the road for service members if they do get deployed. And just from the very proactive standpoint, and, and sort of, Mike, I know you're retired as a police chief, but I want to I pick your brain on this because a lot right. of folks don't understand what it means to be a citizen soldier, um, what it means to serve in the National Guard and the Reserve. And I, I believe you've discovered, you and I have talked offline about the tremendous values that in, in the leadership qualities that come from those that serve um, in the military and the National Guard and the in the reserves of whatever branch. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and what benefits employers across the state of Illinois are telling you when you come out and visit with them um, regarding uh, why, why they love to hire uh, those that serve? Well, they bring a skill set um, that includes being able to take direction, being part of a team, knowing how to complete a task or a mission, uh, being self-starters, self-motivated. And those are traits that I, I don't know an employer who isn't looking for those type of traits. And, and I will say that in the past 12 years or so, there has been an uptick of employers who are actively seeking those people who serve in the military. And, and, and not to throw anybody under the bus, but my first couple of years in ESGR, I often would run into people that say, how do we avoid hiring those folks? Um, so it was a matter of education when we would uh, not only tell them that it was forbidden by the federal act, but what an advantage they had in hiring someone who was a guard or reservist that they bring that additional skill set and those additional work uh, traits and ethic with them to their civilian job. I'm chatting with Mike Hollib, the uh, vice chair of the Illinois ESGR, um, who brings, again, a very, very unique perspective now um, serving as the vice chair. And, and you know, I'm a, I'm a volunteer together with Mike. And, and the volunteering side is really, really um, just an awesome experience um, to, uh, to have the opportunity. It's been interesting in COVID. Um, we haven't been doing much traveling, but we have been innovative in recognizing employers that go above and beyond, um, as well as uh, can, collecting statements support. In our very, very brief minute remaining, can you tell us a little bit about the volunteer experience and what opportunities those that might be tuning in might have to get involved? Well, well we seek to get employers to, uh, to sign that statement of support that you mentioned uh, as a way for them to publicly declare their support for those who do serve in the Guard and Reserve. Uh, as far as the volunteer thing, you know, we're kind of all like Michael Jordan in that we do it for the love of the game. Uh, you know, we're doing it for the right reasons. We're not getting paid for it. A lot of us are veterans. You know, I'm an Army veteran myself, a Vietnam era veteran. Uh, 
last of the draftees, the only lottery I ever won, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we do it because, you know, we really feel the need to make sure that employers are, are treating each other or are treating their employees who are in the Garter Reserve correctly and vice versa. Opportunities, we're always looking for volunteers. Uh, we are broken into sections throughout the state, each headed up by a little area chair. And we have opportunities to include everything from making those award presentations for outstanding employers to making briefings to the military units that are Well, Mike, standard. how can people find out how to get involved? Well, then go to esgr.mil and uh, specifically look for the state of Illinois. There's a section that they can do and find their contacts in Illinois or else, um, you know, they can reach out to uh, me, I guess, if you have the ability to share my conversation. Uh, I, I sure will on the website. Mike Cobb, Vice Chair of Illinois ESGR. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for talking about ESGR and thanks for serving. Thanks, Shalom. Hey, welcome back. You're back on Get Down to Business. And I'm thrilled to be joined by yet another amazing, amazing entrepreneur. Uh, I'm thrilled to be joined on the air by Patricia Aguilar, who's the president of Four Star Branding, a Chicago-based branding and marketing firm um, that's beyond just the business side of things, doing some fantastic, fantastic work and partnerships in the community. Patricia, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate this opportunity to share our stories with uh, your audience. Absolutely. And I know you've been sharing a lot of stories lately, which is, uh, which is awesome. So Patricia, uh, our, our, get, our listeners know that I love to start with getting to know the person behind the microphone. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, yourself and, and uh, what Four Star Branding is? Yes. Well, um, I am a Chicago native. I grew up in Pilsen and my whole advertising career has been in advertising and marketing in the sales promotion and pharmaceutical and what I decided to do after completing the Goldman Sachs 10,000 program for small businesses is to really be uh, the voice of small businesses and nonprofits and delivering the caliber of work Fortune 500 companies receive. And uh, I developed a program called the Branding Hub Program. And uh, I partnered with uh, Little Village Community Foundation and the Little Village Chamber of Commerce. And uh, we have really, uh, it's been a fantastic opportunity. And we've been funded by four major uh, foundations here in the city of Chicago. It's, uh, it's an incredible story and incredible partnerships. And we're going to get into, uh, into more of it. So uh, I love all over your website, with, which of course we'll share with our listeners. It's, uh, you talk about uh, the Protect to Respect PSA campaign. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what Protect uh, to Respect uh, is all about and, and, and what the campaign is. Yeah. Well, the Protect to Respect campaign is a PSA COVID outreach multicultural campaign. This campaign was generated uh, and we had I had to pivot. Our team had to pivot after COVID hit. We were working with the Street Vendor Association of Chicago redoing their brand. And we were at the tail end of that project and we're still working with them. They're one part of our, one of our initiatives. And, uh, but because of COVID, we decided to launch a PSA campaign. And I was watching television just like millions of Americans and the uh, Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Adams, spoke about how important it was for us to protect ourselves during COVID. Not only to protect ourselves, but protect our loved ones. So I spoke to our team at the, at the Little Village Community Foundation and the other partners that we have, which is 1871, IHCC, and Food Hero. 
So we're all in partnership under the umbrella of our four uh, foundations, the Chicago Community Trust, J.P. Chase Morgan Foundation, the Coleman Foundation, and the McCormick Foundation. So um, they love the campaign, and we gathered uh, selfies because, of course, in this time, there's no budget or money for models. And of course, we couldn't because we're quarantined. So the solution was to use selfies of individuals with their masks. And then they would tell us, who are you protecting? Are you doing it for your parents, your brother, sister, your co-workers? And every Friday, we launched selfies. I would send them on Instagram, Facebook, and a collage that they were part of. And it just really has taken off. It's just been very organic and grassroots. Uh, Of course, our budgets are limited, so we had to do it that way. But it is really a heartfelt campaign that's based on protecting us during this, you know, horrific pandemic that we're going through. Uh, Indeed. And protect your respect. It's a really, uh, it's a very personal message. Um, And, uh, of course, we'll make sure that folks can uh, see uh, some of the imagery, uh, the selfies, as you said, uh, of the campaign. And it's it's really inclusive, which is a fantastic, fantastic message. And uh, you talked a little bit about your partners um, in this effort. Uh, Patricia, you talked about the uh, Illinois Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, the Little Village Community Foundation, and many, many others. So let's talk about what you're seeing and hearing in the community. I know you are a minority business owner, um, so you understand firsthand what's going on. And, and, you know, wearing a mask isn't fun, but that message I know that you heard um, on, I believe it was on CNN, hearing from the Surgeon General, uh, Jerome Adams, um, inspired you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the, the, the need that existed. Well, the need existed because, of course, in our minority communities, COVID was at the highest rate. And the reason I believe that that happened is because of lack of resources and also lack of, it's not going to happen to me. And I think that it, now everybody has realized that it can happen to anyone of any color at any time. And the one thing that we could do that we have control over is social distancing it was very hard in our community because we're, pe- we're people people, right? And to use the mask, which protects you 50% of the, of the chance of contracting COVID. So it's a simple yet frustrating thing to put a mask on. I mean, I sometimes are like, oh, I got to put this on. But when I think about what I'm preventing, getting somebody else sick, um, and especially if you think about it personally, and it, when it's multicultural, the surnames that we create for our family members are different. So we've been targeting it according to whoever's culturally relevant to their loved ones. It's, like I said, an incredibly inclusive message and a very, very important one. Even as we move further along, uh, as, as we air this, we're going to be in phase four of, the, uh, of, of Illinois' uh, reopening uh, plan. But that said, the need continues to exist. And I know that you have a strong, strong call to action. Um, we're going to squeeze in a very, very quick break and we will continue the conversation about the Protect to Respect PSA campaign and all of the work that you're doing. Um, we'll also talk a little bit about, uh, I really love, love, love the name of your business, Four Star Branding. So we'll get into the story of that as well. I'm chatting with Patricia Aguilar, uh, again, the, uh, the the mastermind behind the Protect to Respect campaign. We're going to be back in just a moment on Defense
back on Get Down to Business, and I'm thrilled to continue the conversation with Patricia Aguilar um, from Four Star Branding. And Patricia is an entrepreneur, uh, a minority uh, business executive, and uh, you are focused, Patricia, not on, only on your own business on Four Star Branding, um, but you have also uh, been the mastermind, as we've been saying, uh, behind the Protect Respect PSA campaign. I want to make sure, uh, again, that, that our listeners uh, understand how they can get involved in this campaign, how, can, how they can pay that message and, and spread that message as much as possible in your own communities. Sure. Uh, you can take a selfie of yourself. Also, uh, let me know or let us know who you're doing it for. And you could send that to info at fourstarbranding.com. And then every Friday, we collect the photos we've received for the week, and we send you uh, through a Google Drive file so you could download the uh, creative assets that we call them, and then you could go ahead and use them on social media. So that's pretty much the system that we've created to receive the selfies from individuals and then uh, create these images and then send them back to you. That's an incredible, incredible thing, and thank you for doing this because this is this is truly uh, affecting people's lives, people's businesses, uh, which I know you know a thing or two about. Uh, so, Patricia, um, you are partnered in this effort um, by several. We we talked about a little bit before the break uh, with several foundations, in, including several chambers of commerce. Uh, can you uh, tell us a little bit uh, about them one more time? Oh, sure. Uh, we have the Illinois Hispanic Chamber, and they're working with workforce and also helping small businesses obtain the skills that they need for contract work. And then we have 1871. Right now, we they are uh, in the midst of launch, launching or launched already the Tech Bridge program, and that's to help small businesses in our community to make sure they have the uh, the technical skills to advance their, their business. And that is all part of the Entrepreneurs of Color grant. And we have Food Hero. Uh, Javi has been incredible. He's had food drives. He's doing classes on how to teach people how to eat correctly. So at his programs, he's been on, on media. They've interviewed him. So we all have our special programs, but we've worked so closely together. And the funders have been really wonderful they let us pivot our programming um, from what we originally had because of COVID. And that's really made a huge difference. Well, you're doing a masterful job at spreading the word about a very, very important message. And I know you, uh, you do this uh, professionally um, through four-star branding. So uh, Patricia, we're running out of time, but I have to ask um, what is behind the name of four-star branding? Well, four-star branding was created because uh, we have another company called game plan creative and that's sports branding marketing agency. So I wanted to take those same deliverables high, high end that we deliver for professional sports to the small business community. And because we are Chicagoans true and through, the four stars represent uh, four initiatives for small businesses, increase profit, empower uh, the business owners, ignite them with new graphics, new identities, and promote their business. So those are the four pillars for four-star branding, and that's how we want to deliver these services to our underprivileged business communities and nonprofits. That's an, it's incredible, and you're doing a great, great job with this campaign. So, uh, Patricia, we are out of time, and I want to make sure our listeners know where they can find out more about the Protect to Respect, as well as your business, four-star branding. Yes, four-star branding, you could go to uh, four-star branding, F-O-U-R, 
branding.com and you could get information about that. Go ahead and email me also at paguilar at fourstarbranding.com and I would welcome, you know, any questions that anybody might have. And take those selfies and support the, uh, spread that message. Uh, Patricia Aguilar, thank you so much for joining us and get down to business. And thanks so much for all of your important, important work. Thank you very much. Appreciate it greatly. And you can always get on my website. They will link to all of our amazing, amazing guests uh, from our lineup today. Uh, it's on my website, shalomkline.com. You can download podcasts from today's show, uh, share it with a friend, a colleague. Uh, we've been on the air for over six years. So uh, check out my website, shalomkline.com. To success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday right here on AM560, The Answer.